Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. You're listening to the Room 104 Podcast with Cormac Moore and Sir Shalon. FM 104. It's Cormac and Saoirse here on Room 104. Now, what are your thoughts on legalizing and decriminalizing certain drugs. Um, what is your opinion on the whole war on drugs? We've talked about this a few times before on the show and there seems to be some broad support for maybe decriminalising and legalising things like marijuana, which is still illegal, obviously, here in Ireland. But when it comes to plans for legalising cocaine, MDMA and different amphetamines, do you have the same kind of attitudes towards decriminalising and legalising or do you stand slightly different? Well, there's a group of people over in the Transform Drug Policy Foundation, who have obviously been looking at this for a number of years. One of their senior policy analysts is going to join us now to talk about the latest book that they've released and also their views on, one, the war on drugs and why they're pushing their government over in the UK to look at uh, decriminalising and legalising uh, cocaine, MDMA and amphetamines. Uh, Steve Rose, very welcome to the show. How are you? Hi there, I'm good, thanks. Now, tell us, when I think of drugs, obviously alcohol is a drug as well and it's legal and we've all taken it. But when I think of cocaine or speed or ecstasy, my mind kind of goes into fear. So what exactly did you want to do? Well, I mean, the, 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 I, I think the, the, the starting point has to be to accept reality that we're, that we're living in, which is that lots of people, millions of people are using those drugs already and it it so it's not really a matter of whether you approve of them or condone them or or think they're good or bad for policymakers for me it's about dealing with reality and you know we've tried a war on drugs for 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 many decades now for generations you know going back 50 or 60 years we've tried a kind of uh, criminal justice led punitive approach and it simply doesn't work more more drugs are being consumed um, drug markets are expanding people aren't being deterred um, we're not interrupting supply. So for me, it's, it's not about whether you approve of drugs or not. It's about addressing the reality that the current approach to getting rid of them is clearly not working. And so we think pragmatically we need to move to a kind of risk management approach where we try and make drug use safer to encourage people to use use safe more safely use safer products in safer ways in safer places and we regulate the market to take the criminality out of it so that we don't have the additional set of problems associated with you know violence and gangsterism and organized crime so it's it's a two two-pronged approach it's a public health in protection approach for people who use drugs and it's a crime reduction approach for the wider community because everybody is affected by the war on drugs whether they use or not so obviously i think a lot of people will pretty much agree with everything you've said with regards to drug use hasn't gone away and it's increased and it, it probably won't go away anytime soon but 
some people might hear that and kind of go the completely opposite direction and go, no, 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 actually, Steve, we need to get more extreme. We need to have tougher laws, tougher penalties and tougher regulations instead of taking a slightly more liberal or lighter approach. Like, what would be your response to those? Well, I mean, you can look at countries that have, have taken a harsher approach, like the USA, where they've got, you know, hundreds of thousands of people are in prison for drugs. Uh, nearly two million people are in prison for drug-related offending. Uh, you can look at places that have the death penalty for drugs, like Thailand or the Philippines. Or, you know, or, or China. And those places still have loads of drugs. Loads of, there, are, there are still extensive criminal drug markets. There are still millions of people using drugs. The US has one of the highest levels of drug-related, uh, dr- drug use and drug-related uh, health harms and deaths of anywhere in the world, even though they imprison hundreds of thousands of people. There's no evidence to suggest harsher penalties and tougher crackdowns actually work either. I mean, it seems like the drivers of drug drug using decisions and, and, and levels of drug use and uh, are not to do with policy and, and how tough drug laws are. They're mainly to do with economic, social and, and cultural factors, you know, fashions. And, uh, you know, it, it's not policy. It's not ministerial toughness and posturing that is shaping drug use. It's other cultural, social um, factors. So we need to deal with reality. And the reality is, you know, around the world, something like 320 million people a year are using illegal drugs. Um, and in the, in the UK, several million people are using illegal drugs. It's about dealing with reality. These things are here, whether we like it or not. The choice we have is whether we leave them in the hands of organized crime and unregulated dealers or whether we try and manage those markets responsibly to reduce the harms they cause. I mean, it's all very well for the government to discourage drug use or to encourage moderation or encourage people to, use, to, to make responsible lifestyle decisions. And I think that's, that's their job and I think they should do that. But what you don't do is blanket criminalize anybody who uses illegal drugs and blindly pursue a policy that has failed for decades and generations when all evidence says that we need to try something else. We need to try a public health approach because this is a public health challenge. It's not a problem we can solve with policing, uh, whether it's in the UK or, you know, in Afghanistan or, or Colombia. It simply doesn't work. We can't get rid of it. While the profit's there, there's an opportunity for organised crime and they will take the opportunity and they have done for decades and we need to we need to have a rethink. And are there certain drugs that you just uh, fear you won't be able to control? Well, I mean, we think that, you know, obviously the, the kind of regulatory approaches that you would have would be different for different drugs. I mean, more risky drugs obviously warrant stricter, more rigorous forms of regulation. You wouldn't regulate cannabis in the same way that you would regulate cocaine. I mean, we, we, are, we, are, we look at all the different regulatory tools that we have. You know, you could, you could have some things could be prescribed by doctors if you were a, a, a dependent or addicted uh, user. Some drugs, the, the sort of medium risky drugs could be sold in ration quantities to adults in unbranded packaging from pharmacy-like uh, retailers, things like MDMA or cocaine. You would sell sort of single adult doses from pharmacy-like retailers. Tailors. And for, the, for, for not, not risk-free, but less risky drugs, relatively less risky drugs like cannabis, you could have a, a more um, open, perhaps more commercialized market, a bit more like alcohol and tobacco. But, you know, alcohol and tobacco, as, as you've alluded to, they have not been historically very well regulated. It's only really recently that we've, we've begun to regulate tobacco in a more appropriate way. But if you look at that, I mean, tobacco is legal and tobacco use has been falling for decades now. It's, it's been going down for the last 30 or 40 years at the same time that cannabis and cocaine and MDMA use have all been rising. So I think we can learn from that, that appropriate regulation can actually manage drug-related drug use and drug-related harms 
and and just because something's legal doesn't inevitably mean that use will will, will skyrocket. It depends how you regulate it once it's legal. So we're all about trying to do it right, not just to. Uh, it's, it's not. Um, should we legalise? It's, it's how we legalise and reg- how we regulate once a drug is legalised. I think that's the critical question, and that's the debate we are trying to promote with our new book, which so, is free to download. By the way, it's not uh, we're not we're not selling it. We're not trying to make money off this. You can you can download the ebook and just read it. Oh, brilliant, brilliant. So uh, obviously you're you're not saying that you know cocaine is just going to be go down for like uh, two tins of beans and a kilo of cocaine. It's not going to be that freely legalised, right? Uh, well, I mean it would depend on diff- different d- different drugs would have different regulatory approaches, but no, I mean you wouldn't. Have have drugs available on the, um, you know, in in, in, cor- in corner shops and, and sweet shops, but you know, I say you say that, and we kind of laugh at it, but but we, we do have alcohol and tobacco available in, in supermarkets and sweet shops. So, um, you know, for us, alcohol and tobacco is, is a pretty good example of, of how not to do it. You know, if, if we were selling more dangerous drugs like MDMA from pharmacy-style um, dedicated licensed outlets where the person you were buying it off um, would enforce a regulatory framework but would also be trained to give you advice on risks and harm reduction and, you know, refer you to relevant services as as needed. We think that would be a better situation than just buying it in a dark alley or on a street corner. It definitely would be. And I can totally see where you're coming from. And I I agree with you to a a certain extent. But would you be wary of people that might say, well, you know, if it's legalised, then maybe I'll try it. That certain people would never have tried it otherwise. Well, I don't know how many people wouldn't. I mean, this is the thing that... it's not like if we legalise drugs, suddenly they would be available. They're available now. I mean, you know, anyone who wants to get drugs can do so now relatively easily. You can buy them on the dark web. There are WhatsApp drug dealers. There are drug dealers on street corners. It's not hard to get drugs. So the, the, the idea that, you know, that they're unavailable now and then suddenly they would be um, highly available. The, the difference is that if, it's, if something is legal and regulated, we make the decisions. We control the availability. We're making those decisions. And we're not absolutely responsibility for the market to criminal profiteers. You know, you, you can have state-guided public health-based regulation that acts in the interests of the public good rather than criminal regulation that acts in the interest of, of you know, criminal profits. Um, I imagine you've obviously looked into maybe a larger discussion on smaller offences. People are probably, young men and women might be negatively impacted for the rest of their life with a small amount of, of um, drugs on them. But when it comes to things like uh, legalizing cocaine and MDMA and amphetamines. Like, mm-hmm. would you envisage a situation where you would need a prescription, or in in your mind, like, how would I, if it was legal under your framework or something like your framework, how would I go about buying it, and how are you limiting my consumption of it? Right. So, um, no, a, a prescription model would be, you know, in the same way that we people prescribe methadone if they are uh, dependent users of heroin. Mm. I think if someone is, a, you know, in that they're, they're they're a problematic or dependent user, you can move them into a medical substitute prescription program potentially. But those are clinical decisions. Those aren't sort of market retail. This is a clinical medical decision. For the large majority of people who use more moderately and, you know, recreationally, we're proposing uh, that you could buy, uh, adults could buy a single dose. You wouldn't be able to go in and buy, you know, an unlimited amount. You wouldn't be able to go and buy a kilo or a huge bag of, of ecstasy pills. You could buy, you'd buy a single ecstasy pill or a gram of cocaine or a fixed quantity for a single person to adult use because, you know, we, we, you would use that kind of rationing as a way of limiting use. Now, some people have said, well, why couldn't they just go in and out of the shop or go to multiple pharmacies and buy them? Uh, one option that we did explore was that you would have a, you would have a licensed 
buy a system. So you'd you'd have like a, a swipe card and it would be linked to a database so you couldn't buy multiple times. And that's actually what they do with um, legal cannabis in Uruguay. And it's what they're, what they're proposing in Colombia. There's a, there's a bill in the Colombian Senate at the moment to have a legal cocaine market and it, it would operate on that basis. So you would have a sort of licensed buyer, sort of membership-based system where you could only buy a certain amount per week or per month. So you would have these rationing systems to try and control and moderate access and availability. Now, obviously, there's a, a delicate balance there. If it's too restrictive, then people want more or they can't have access or the availability is too restricted. Then people will then default back to an illegal market. You, you leave space for a criminal market to service any uh, remaining demand. So there's quite a delicate balance that needs to be struck there. And, uh, but I think certainly at the start of a market like this or, or, or regulatory pilot approach, we would opt for a more kind of cautious, conservative, more strictly regulated model. So something like a kind of license purchaser approach might be might be a good option, at least at least to start with. But certainly per purchase rationing is something that we would we would recommend because you don't want people to be able to go yeah. and buy loads and then, and then resell it. Uh, yeah, which is obviously an, another risk I imagine um, some people will be worried about. I know you've obviously gone into this in great detail, Steve, and as you mm-hmm. mentioned, it's outlined in the in the latest book that you've released via the organization that you're with where is the best place someone can go to download that and have a look uh well it, it's uh freely available on the transformdrugs.org website so just go to transformdrugs.org and it, it, it's very it's very easy to find and yeah i mean we are, we are selling print copies as well but but the, we really want to use this book which has been crowdfunded i mean the whole idea of it is to sort of try and inform and promote a debate we're not expecting this to happen in the short term we're not expecting it to happen under, uh, in, in the next year or two but you know we we want to start a discussion on this. So to move beyond the kind of just saying the war on drugs is rubbish to saying, OK, we all agree it's, it, it's not working. What do we do instead? And try and start to thrash out the detail of what an alternative to the war on drugs really means in practice. So this is what that this this is what the book is trying to trying to achieve and we, and we hope as many people read it as possible that's why we've made it available free that's fascinating and i um hope to hear a little bit more have you got much feedback so far well i mean it's only been out for for two days so, so not really but i mean i, I the most the most significant thing i think is that there's this bill that is being debated in the colombian senate we were working with the the drafters so the analysis in our book is already informing uh you know real world policy proposals yeah. being d- discussed in parliament i mean okay not the uk Parliament, but uh, the Colombian Parliament, and it's about cocaine, so it kind of <laughs> makes sense that it, it would start there. And you know, yeah. well, and we're not expecting that bill to pass. Uh, it's getting some support, it's getting a lot of media and public interest. But again, it's, this is about sort of you know saying, look, we can all agree the war on drugs doesn't work. W- what are we going to do instead? This, these are our proposals that we're putting out there for people to discuss. People can shoot them down, people can argue with them, but if people are talking about how we regulate after war on drugs, that's fine with us. That's the debate that needs to be happening, and that's what we're trying to. Achieve. Brilliant. Well, Steve Rolls, Senior Policy Analyst over at the Transform Drug Policy Foundation. You can go down at that book from their web- website, tra- transformdrugs.org. Thanks a million for popping on. We'll hopefully chat to you again soon. My pleasure. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowlin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowlin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlinBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.